What is up, everybody? Glad you're with us. Trey Wingo here as we're getting set to get you set for week eight of the NFL's regular season on Pro Football Network's Pro Football Insider Show. Uh, I am here, Trey Wingo, ready to roll. Now, the guy that usually does this show with me, Brett Yaris, uh, Brett Averse, uh, Brett Master Flash and the Furious Five, is not here. He decided to just skip out and take a vacation, middle of football season. In other words, he's Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's Tom Brady. I'm not kidding. Yeah, he's kind of like Tom Brady, just taking time off in the middle of the season. And, and by the way, let's be clear, that's where the comparisons between Brett and Tom Brady end, just so we're all clear. But uh, we will continue to press on without Brettiverse. We are ready to roll. We're excited about it. And to help us go through the show today, because, you know, Brett just quit, uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, let's bring in the guy I do every show with when we're talking about the draft. It's our draft expert, Tony Pauline here at Pro Football Network. Tony, you scared me a little bit earlier when you said, is it April already? Because if it's April already, I've missed the entire winter where I'm not here and I'd rather be somewhere else. So you freaked me out a little bit there. Yeah, I freaked myself out because there's a lot of film work that I should have done that I haven't done <laughs> April. And, you know, what is it with Brett? He takes off in the middle of football season? Come on, bro. You've got to get your priorities straight. Yeah, the next thing you know, he's going to come back and be yelling at us, saying we well, got to be more committed like Tom Brady did on the sidelines of the Pittsburgh loss to his offensive line. Well, again, we're stopping the Tom Brady-Brett Yaris comparisons because I can only feel his ego growing growing and growing. But we got a lot to get to. Is Once again, it's been a season of underdogs. We had uh, on this past Sunday the first double-digit underdog hit on the year as the Carolina Panthers took care of Tom Brady and the Bucks 21-3. And now we'll get into what the NFC South is a little bit later. But uh, we start the show off every week, as we always do, with a little segment that we like to call Time to Learn. So just remember that Join Pro Football Network on Pickett, the best tracking app on the market and 100% free. They'll let you track the return of investment, all your bets across all sportsbooks, including automatically syncing with Caesar Sportsbook. Join Pickett today. Use code PFN365 to win up to 100 bucks just for downloading the app. All right, Tony, let's start a little true or false here, and let's start with the first one. True or false, the Green Bay Packers miss Devontae Adams. True to a certain extent, but I don't think Devontae Adams is the panacea for uh, the, the Packers going from <laughs> Excuse me. God bless you. Good team. Sorry. God bless you again. You okay? <laughs> I'm good. I'll live. I'll live. A team that's going three to uh, three and four to a team that's going six to one, uh, six and one. You know, they yeah. Devontae Adams isn't going to help the Green Bay Packers dominate the NFC East. Never mind the NFC. I mean, the fact is this: you know, Aaron Rodgers has lost his edge. He's lost it physically. He's lost it mentally. He kind of alluded to that yesterday. And with Devontae Adams' help, yes, to a certain extent, but. You know, I, I think when we look back on it, and this is just opinion, you know, quarterback may have been better off retiring rather than taking that big money contract that he got, which is probably what lured him back into Green Bay. Yeah, and uh, also the reason that Devontae Adams was so upset he demanded a trade because he knew he wasn't getting his if, if, if uh, Aaron Rodgers were getting all of that Green Bay money. I'm going to say true just for the simple fact that, you know, we're seven games into the season for the Green Bay Packers. It's their first three-game losing streak under Matt LaFleur in the time he's been there as a head coach. They hadn't lost two in a row before uh, this past season when they lost to the Jets and the Giants, or then the Giants, then the Jets. But it's pretty clear that Aaron Rodgers and his wide receivers are not on the same page. Some of that is Aaron Rodgers' fault. Some of that is on the inexperience of the wide receivers he's trying to work with. So in an honest moment, yeah, I think the Packers would probably say, you know, 
We had him under contract. It wasn't like he was going to walk away from all that money and not play and pull a Le'Veon Bell. So, yeah, you know, I, I think if in an honest moment, the Packers themselves would admit we probably should have tried harder to keep these two together. But to your point, Tony, about Aaron, he's not the same. Like Daniel Jones has no wide receivers. Like he, as bad as the Packers wide receivers are right now, at least I know their names. I don't, I don't know the names of half the wide receivers for the New York Giants, and Daniel Jones is playing the best football of his life. Some of that is the coaching from Brian Dable, and some of that is just buying into the system. So it's it would be very easy to just say Aaron Rodgers doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have great weapons, but he has weapons. And there is just a disconnect right now between Aaron Rodgers, his wide receiver, and whatever offensive philosophy Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff are trying to put out there. I think we've come, become so accustomed to guys like Aaron Rodgers being able to carry the offense, being able to pull the rabbit out of the hat when it doesn't yeah. seem that there's a hat around. And he's not even coming close to that, you know, with with the receivers he has at his disposal. And, you know, maybe we were spoiled with that Aaron Rodgers, but we're not getting any – it's not we're not, not getting just not what we expected. I, I think it's basically the his game is going – is regressing and going in reverse. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, like, maybe retiring after this year. Just think about this nightmare scenario for the Packers, right? Aaron Rodgers comes off back-to-back -back MVP seasons uh, in, in 2020 and 2021. So, you know, you have to sort of pay him. Like, they wanted to move on from Jordan, to Jordan Love, and then Aaron Rodgers played so well, they couldn't move on to Jordan Love. So now Aaron Rodgers has all the leverage. He gets this monster $50 million a year contract for several years, and because of the money you pay Aaron Rodgers, the Packers realize we are not going to be able to afford Devontae Adams. So we got to try and get something for him. And they got something. I wouldn't say they got great return in the trade for the Raiders, especially when you look at what the Chiefs were able to get for Tyreek Hill uh, and, and the bounty of draft picks they got back from there. So now we're in this horrible scenario because Aaron Rodgers played so well when they wanted to move on from him. They had to sign him to a deal because he had all the leverage. And we still don't know what we have in Jordan Love, the first round pick of 2020. And because of that money, Devontae Adams goes, the Packers are now really struggling, and it's gotten so bad that Aaron might retire after this year, and now Aaron's not there, and Devontae Adams isn't there, and you've got, like, the 80s for the Green Bay Packers staring you in the face. Are they going to bring back the Magic Man? You remember, remember Mikowski? John Mikowski. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, it, it was gonna, they, they were going to have to rebuild at some point in time. Uh, yeah. because Aaron Rodgers was not going to last forever. So, I mean, they kept pushing the inevitable down. And, you know, it, it, this may just be the time where they're going to have to face the facts that we're going to have to start, if not from scratch, from close to scratch. Yeah. And, you know, you have the uh, the only good news is the the only good team in that division appears is Minnesota. The the Bears are faltering. The, the, the Lions are still the Lions, no matter how much we love the quotes from Hard Knocks. So it's not completely out of their control yet, but they've got to figure out a way to stop the losing streak. And by the way, where they're going, it's not a good place to stop a losing streak. They'll be in Buffalo on Sunday night. All right. Move on to the second true or false. The Seahawks do not in any way, shape or form miss Russell Wilson. True or false? Uh, I'm going to say false, but I don't think they care. I mean, yeah. it, they got in return for Russell Wilson, they got a potential franchise left tackle. You know, we talked about Green Bay having to do the rebuild. Seattle got a year a head start on it, and they, they trade Russell Wilson. They get a potential franchise left tackle in Charles Cross. They did a great job bringing in uh, the right tackle 
in Abrams. I, I, I think it's a situation where the Seattle miss uh, Russell Wilson. I think Seattle misses those two offensive tackles that are, yeah. that are on the Seattle roster right now. They're on the depth chart that are uh, that are playing uh, playing lights out. Abe Lucas, I said Ray Lucas. Abe Lucas was the third round right tackle from uh, Washington State, who's playing so well. So yeah. I, I'm going to say yes, they probably miss him. They may may be slightly better, even though Geno Smith is playing lights out, which I think is great to see. But I don't really think they care, considering what they got in return for Russell Wilson. Yeah, listen, I'm going to say it's true. The Seahawks do not miss Russell Wilson for a variety of reasons. This divorce has been coming for three years. Like literally, it's been coming for three years, and. You know, there was that time, I think it was in the 2019 season, where Russell said, I don't want to be traded, but if I am going to be traded, here's the list of teams I want to be traded to. If you go through the process of making a list, you're okay with being traded. I don't care what you say. So th- this divorce is just going on far too long. And right now, the uh, the Seattle Seahawks are benefiting from really a pleasant surprise in Geno Smith. Look, we- we've talked about this a million times, but nobody expected this from Geno Smith. In fact, the Seahawks didn't expect it from Geno Smith, which is why they were so adamant on getting Drew Locke back in the trade uh, with Denver. Because as you know, Tony, in the 2019 draft, the Seahawks were very, very enamored with Drew Locke. And they wanted him to win the job. He didn't. And Geno Smith has been playing lights out. So right now, they're getting much better quarterback play at much less of a price uh, than what the Russell Wilson Broncos are paying him. What, like? $235 million in that contract. But to your point about the bevy of stuff that they got back, let's just go through the Seahawks draft class right here. Tony, it's amazing. They get Charles Cross, Boye Mafe, Kenneth Walker. You mentioned Abraham Lucas, Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, Tyreek Smith. They They have done an amazing job with their draft class. Like It feels like everybody the Seahawks drafted with the bounty they got back from Russell Wilson is looks like he's going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. And I think what they did this year was they used to prioritize players that fit their system. And all the way through, they went with best player available, which they never really did. I mean, the Seahawks, you go through the past drafts, they would always throw curveballs. Everyone thought they knew what the Seahawks were going to do before the draft. And we were always wrong because they would take the guy that fit their system. They kind of seemed to sway away from that, go with best available player, and they've hit a home run. And, you know, obviously they're going to have to get a quarterback for the future, but, you know, when you start with two outstanding tackles, two outstanding young tackles, that puts you ahead of the curve, whether they draft a quarterback or whether they try and trade for a quarterback. Yeah, uh, I think that um, I, I just think it's worked out better than they ever thought it could possibly work out this far along. So I, I'm 100 percent with you. And I think that they are uh, they do not miss Russell Wilson, despite all the amazing things he did when he was there. All right. True or false. Let's move on to another issue with a quarterback. Taylor Heineke. Uh, of the Washington Commanders should be starting for the Washington Commanders at quarterback, true or false? Uh, I guess true for the rest of the season. But, I, I mean, if, if you want to be nothing more than a five- or six-win team throughout the season, Tyler Tyler Haneke uh, is your guy. Taylor. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Hanneke, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, is your guy. He's a lot like Tyrod Taylor. You know, everybody yeah. loves the backup quarterback. And to Heineke's credit, he's had a much better NFL career than anyone would have ever thought. Should he be starting? Uh, I don't think Washington's really going anywhere this season. If Carson Wentz is basically on his uh, failing with his third team. You, you know, finish out the season with Heineke and then draft the quarterback. Uh, don't make another dumb trade for a quarterback. 
But I don't think Heineke is the quarterback of the future for the, for Washington. Again, if you want to win five or six games a year, he's your guy. I don't think he's anything more than that. Yeah, I think right now he's your best option. So I'm going to say true. Taylor Heineke should be starting. Um, Carson Wentz has had plenty of opportunities, right? We've, we've, we've been down this road a million times, uh, and it feels like the Colts are going down that road again, benching Matt Ryan for the rest of the year for Sam Ellinger. I mean, whatever. You know, Matt Ryan was not done right by the Colts in any way, shape, or form. Like, they promised him a good offensive line and a good running game. Neither of those things have happened. Matt Ryan hasn't played great, but he hasn't been a disaster. He, he, you know, he threw for 300 plus yards just a couple of weeks ago in a comeback win as time expired, basically against the Jags under duress. Yes, he's fumbled uh, 11 times. Yes, he's thrown nine interceptions. But when you're under attack from a terrible offensive line, uh, that is going to happen. And the, the commander's offensive line hasn't been very good either. I think Heineke is your best, uh, best option going forward for this year. Uh, but uh, after that, I think you need to look uh, at a much bigger picture and try and figure out if you can find a guy that you can basically place the franchise on in Washington. All right. I'm going to call an audible here because of some news that we had today. So I'm going to throw in another true or false. And I want to get your your take on it, Tony. For those that hadn't heard, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles traded a fourth round pick today for Robert Quinn, of the Chicago Bears. Uh, Quinn, of course, 18 and a half sacks last year, only has one sack this year, but he's getting double teamed almost all the time. The point I'm going to make in this true or false question here is about Howie Roseman, the general manager. Yeah. True or false, Howie Roseman is arguably or might be the best general manager in the NFL right now. Absolutely true as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, yeah. anytime he stepped away from the team, took a back seat to Chip Kelly, you know, had, had his uh, disagreements with Doug Peterson after they won the Super Bowl. When he has been in charge of that organization, they rise to the top. Everyone thought that they may take a hit when Joe Douglas went to the Jets. No. Yeah. As far you, you watch, you watch his draft day moves, his free agency moves. I, I said this on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if he's not the best GM, he's close to being the best GM in the league. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I was with the Eagles for a number of years. Uh, I got to see him in action. And, you know, he doesn't look like a football guy. But, no, man, no. he gets the job done and, and more, more power to him and all credit to him. Yeah, I'm going to say true as well. And, and here's for a couple of reasons why. Okay, let's look at what he's done since last offseason. Uh, he makes the draft day deal for A.J. Brown, bringing the wide receiver. Uh, he, he gets Jordan Davis in the draft. Uh, they get Gardner Johnson uh, in the summer. And they trade all these picks together, right? And now they give up a fourth rounder for, uh, uh, for Robert Quinn. Guess what they still have? They still have six picks in the 2023 draft, including two in the first round. Their draft pick in the Saints, and right now it looks like the Saints might be a lot better uh, than the Eagles' first-round draft pick. So with all this wheeling and dealing, which has made the team better, and they are the last unbeaten team in the NFL in 2022, he still has plenty of draft capital going in 2023, including two first-round picks. Not only that, I mean, look at the direction that the two quarterbacks have gone, Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Yeah. I mean, he traded a bunch of picks to move up to get Carson Wentz, who had his moments early on but couldn't stay healthy. They decide to go with Jalen Hurts. You, you look at how Hurts is playing the past few years compared to Carson Wentz. I, I, I mean, that, that, that's, uh, that, that's it in a nutshell, besides the fact that he was able to stockpile all these picks uh, and not only stockpile picks, hit on those picks as we've right. talked about in the, in the past i mean what did the las vegas raiders do with all that draft capital that they awesome. had for trey train awesome. uh, uh mac and, and all those other guys uh, howie roseman and the eagles have hit on those selections 
Yeah, it's one thing to have picks. It's another thing to pick the right players. And you're 100% right. And and they have done that. And I wanted to get that true or false in there because it leads into our next one, which is right in your wheelhouse. Uh, true or false, are there starting to become more questions about the quarterback draft class of 2023, Tony? Well, I'm going to say false with, with an asterisk in the sense that everyone thinks that Bryce Young of Alabama and C.J. Stroud of uh, Ohio State are the two best prospects in the land. And they're not when you talk to scouts. They like them, but they don't like those two quarterbacks as much as the draft Twitter world does. They like yeah. a lot of the defensive players, Will Anderson of Alabama, the Clemson duo, Brian Brise, the, the, the defensive tackle, and Miles Murphy. They are just not as high on those quarterbacks, uh, those two guys, as everyone else is, although those two guys are going to go very early. All right, so we, we've talked for a long time, Tony, about you know this past draft was not great for quarterbacks. Right. Uh, you know, it, it took a while for one to come off the board. Malik Willis was the uh, well, Kenny Pickett obviously won the first round, and then it was Malik Willis and Howell and a couple of other guys. How many quarterbacks right now do you think have the opportunity to be drafted in the first round of twenty twenty three? First round, you're probably talking maybe four, but I think the big thing is you're going to have three quarterbacks go in the top six or seven picks next April. The two guys that I mentioned, and the guy who is rising faster than anyone is Will Levis of Kentucky. Yeah, It, it depends on what you want. You know, C.J. Stroud is a great physical specimen. He's got a huge arm. He's very athletic. He is a tremendous vertical passer, but he lacks that short and intermediate range, uh, ga- uh, passing game. You're going to have to teach him that. Bryce Young is looks like a surgeon on the football field. He's an absolute joy to watch. You watch that Tennessee game, even though they lost, the guy was getting the snot beat out of him. He was pulling yeah. himself up off the tarp, and, and he he put that team in a position to win. They missed the field goal, and they lost the game. But the problem with uh, Bryce Young is he's going to likely going to measure under six foot tall. He's likely going to be under two hundred pounds, and he doesn't have a huge arm. Will Levis is even more of a phys- from Kentucky. He's even more of a physical specimen. Uh, than uh, C.J. Stroud. He is a big, statuesque pocket passer that can throw the ball a country mile. That's got great mobility, but he's very rough around the edges. So I think all these guys have kinks in their game, if you will. But still, when you look at the teams that are likely to be drafting at the top, the Detroit Lions again, you know, maybe Washington, Carolina, Houston, I mean, Davis Mills has played well, but I don't think if you're the, if you're the Houston Texans, you want to hang the franchise on him, yeah. When you're looking at a C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or somebody like that, so I, I think with the talent that these guys all offer, which is off the charts compared to what we saw last April with Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, you're going to have three quarterbacks probably go top six or seven. Yeah, quarterbacks will always be overdrafted. That's just the way it's going to be for a couple of reasons. One, because it excites a fan base. Uh, if you've had a terrible year, <clears throat> that's a that's a it's a business. <clears throat> You're trying to sell tickets, and two, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to hope because the quarterback position is such an integral part of the way the game is played right now. And you don't want to pass on a quarterback. <laughs> you don't. No. You want to be the guy who <clears throat> on uh, Dan Marino, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost uh, forty years ago. Uh, you it it, it, <clears throat> it is the passing game is the most important position which is why the quarterbacks are overdrafted. Although I will say this, I do like the crop of quarterbacks. I do like Bryce Young. I do like C.J. Stroud. I do like Will Levis. I think like any other quarterback that's drafted, they're going to need good coaching. They're going to be need, They're going to have to be put in the right situation. Um, but they've got a lot of upside, these guys. 
Yeah, so we'll see what happens going forward. But this <clears throat> this draft in 2023, I think it's going to be much more quarterback-centric than we obviously had the past year. By the way, don't forget to place your first wager uh, with Caesars, our good friends at Caesars Sportsbook. If you lose, you get 100% of your stake back as a free bet, up to $1,250. And, and, ladies and gentlemen, win or lose, you'll also get 1,000 reward credits and 1,000 tier credits. Redeem this offer using the promo code PFNCZR. All right, then we continue on Pro Football Insiders with our next segment. Trey Wingo here with Tony Pauline because Brett Yaris is just not dedicated to his job. We're kidding, Brett. It's a recurring theme. You're easy. It's a punching bag. You're not here. So we're just going to take some body blows. Uh, the problem with is our second segment. And the problem with the NFC South. By rule, Tony, one of these teams is going to make the postseason. Mm. I'm not sure who that's going to be at this point. This was supposed to be a cakewalk division for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they find themselves struggling mightily across the board. There's not a single team in the NFC South right now that has a winning record. And I think for some teams, it's bad quarterback play or quarterback play that hasn't met expectations. I think in other situations, it's bad coaching. I think in the situation, when you look at the Carolina Panthers, it's both. It was bad coaching who they finally uh, fired Matt Rule as well as poor quarterback play. So I think in a lot of ways, it's the perfect storm for all four of these teams. It is, and obviously this, the, the quarterback situation has been a problem in New Orleans. Jameis Winston has played well. Uh, he has the broken bones in his back. Andy Dalton has come in and played okay at times, but then had very Andy Dalton-like moments, even though that, that interception right before the half, one of them wasn't his fault in that Thursday night game. Um, the team that intrigues me the most, actually, about all of these guys is Atlanta. Like, I thought Atlanta was just going to be awful like horrendously bad. And Arthur Smith and company have put together a very formidable resume so far at three and four. Now, look, they kind of got boat raced early on against Cincinnati. But when Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are clicking, a lot of people are going to get boat raced. OK, at least they found a way to hang in that game and make it interesting for a while. Um, they probably should have had an opportunity to beat the Bucs. Like that Grady Jarrett roughing the passer call was absolutely ridiculous. Tom Brady wasn't slung to the ground. He was tackled around the waist and brought to the ground. Uh, and that would have given them the ball back in a one-score game late with a, chance to, uh, with a chance to put some points on the board and win. Tampa Bay has the most talent. We all know that. They have the most talent. They have the GOAT. They have Tom Brady. They have Mike Evans. They have uh, Godwin. They have... Uh, uh, they have Justin Gage. They have hopefully Julio Jones. But there are some real flaws in that team construct right now. Uh, guard center guard right up the middle. You know, Alex Cap is now a Bengal. Ali Marpet retired. Ryan Jensen, the center, is hurt. They're not getting the protection. Tom always works best when he has two tight ends to work the middle of the field. They don't really have any tight ends right now. And uh, as I've said before, I think Tom Brady is trying to play while being retired, which is not yeah. always ideal. Um, but so, I, I mean, I, I have to think that at some point the cream rises to the top and there's more talent in Tampa Bay than anywhere else. But this Falcons team, I think I find very interesting because Marcus Mariota was left for dead by all of us. He really was. Uh, and he's come out and acquitted himself pretty well so far this year. I think he's been solid. I, I think it's a situation in Atlanta with Mariota. He's going to need all the pieces around him working and working well when you look at the stats, he's not a guy who's going to carry the offense. Again, like Geno Smith, it's good to see him, you know, get that second chance or get a third chance and really rebound well. Uh, as far as Atlanta, as far as Tampa's concerned, you know, remember they got a brand new coach there, and I know Bowles was familiar with the system because he was there for so long. But 
Bowles struggled as a head coach uh, when he was with the New York Jets. So I don't know if that's in play or that's an issue with Tampa, uh, with Bowles sort of, you know, going from the defensive coordinator to basically all the coaching duties. I, I think that is a uh, that's something to, to keep an eye on. But Atlanta has had some good coaching and they've done a good job. I just don't know. You know, in an ordinary season, whether uh, Marcus Mariota is going to be a quarterback that's going to be able to win 10, 11 games for you. As you said, one team in this division is going to go to the playoffs by default. And that could be with, you know, eight wins, nine wins in a 17 game season. Yeah, I mean. Carolina Panthers are two and five and they're one game out of first. <laughs> like it's just, you know, and they beat the Bucks with an interim coach and their third string, uh, third string uh, quarterback and a, on a team that had just given away their best player, Christian McCaffrey, and had lost 12 of their last 13 games. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the weirdest thing, by the way, uh, if uh, the NFC South was won by a team with a losing losing record in 2014. The Carolina Panthers were seven, eight and one and got a home playoff game. Uh, as the division champs of the NFC South. But I want to go back to something you said, which I thought was really interesting there with Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles potentially struggling. I don't think enough people talk about this. And that's the idea that Bruce Arians is not the head coach, but he's there. He's there on the sidelines, you know, and there was that that issue in the game in New Orleans earlier this year where some people thought they read his lips and he was telling Mike Evans to go out there and protect Tom Brady. Like Bruce Arians was the coach that brought you a Super Bowl. Like he 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 revived the whole thing. It's kind of hard to be your own man in Todd Bowles when the specter, and by the way, deservedly so, the specter of Bruce Arians is they're just sort of hovering over you all the time. Can't be looking over your shoulder, and, and that's probably what—that's probably a concern for balls. Although he's, he, he, you'll say it, it isn't, but you know, if you're looking over your shoulder or he thinks he's being second guessed, uh, that's not a good situation. Considering the issues that they have, as you pointed out, on the offensive line, and yeah. you know, a quarterback where Father Time is obviously caught up with Tom Brady. He's not playing poorly, but he's not the Tom Brady, you know, that we all know and we've all seen in the past. Just like uh, the same situation that we talked about at the top of the show with Aaron Rodgers. Well, both of them are sort of like trying to play while not being there all the time. I mean, like Tom Brady flew to his former owner's wedding on the Saturday before a game. I mean, like, are you in all, you all in or you all out? Like, you, you, you got to be all in to play this game. We used to say all the time when someone talks about I'm saving my body, I'm like, you're retired. When you start talking about, you know, I'm saving my, you know, you're retired. You're retired. You just haven't said that you're retired yet. So, um, it's going to get very interesting in Tampa Bay if things continue to, to unravel, uh, and we'll see what happens with them going forward. All right, let's go on to another part of our the problem with, and that's Tua Tonga-Vailoa's return, Sunday night football at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And I think, Tony, a lot of people watching that game like this, just don't get hurt, don't get hurt, don't get hurt. He came out of it okay, but there were several times, Tony, when he was diving head first to try and get a first down. And on one part of that, you have to say, damn, I love that. I admire that. I respect that. I, you know, going all out to do what you can to help our team win. But we suck if you're not on the field. Okay. Like they were three and oh in the games that Tua started and finished. And then when he got taken down with the awful concussion on the Thursday night game against the Bengals, they proceeded to lose three straight. And they barely hung on and won against a Steelers team that the offense, for lack of a better term, is constipated. They can't hardly score at all. So at some point, Tua needs to understand while the competitive drive and all that. 
is great. At the end of the day, you need to find a way to protect yourself because no one wants to see you go through that again, especially this season. And you're our best chance to win. So what we need you to understand is we'll take in a couple of scenarios, one or two less yards to maintain your ability to be on the field for all four quarters. I think the issue is this, you know, forget about the fact that he's a competitor. He's an athlete. Tua has been maligned the past two years. I mean, how many times on the the shows we were doing before the draft where people were talking about, you know, is Miami going to go after Deshaun Watson? What are they going to do with Tua? People were ready basically to to discard Tua and throw him to the side of the street, to throw him to the curb and forget about him. And I'm sure he's got a chip on his shoulder because of that. And he wants to go out there and prove oftentimes to his own detrimental health with injuries that, hey, you know what? Just shut everybody up. You know, the Miami Dolphins did not make a mistake when they selected me that early in the draft. So you're right. He has to realize it. But I think the way he's been maligned the past couple of years with people, you know, uh, brandishing a, brandishing him as a bust, I, I think he's got that chip on his shoulder to say, listen, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna show those people and, you know, I'm going to flip them the bird because I'm just going to do whatever it takes to win, which he has to realize that, you know, you can't take chances. And like you said, you know, you cringe sometimes oh. when he's carrying the ball or he's taking off up the field, uh, you know, just slide, get down. And it, it doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, going to be third and six or third and eight. It's, it's not that much, not that great of a difference. No, it isn't. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing is it's so hard sometimes, Tony, to do the thing that comes naturally to you and hold back. Like I'll give you an example, like Steve Young, knew that he could run and get a first down almost any time he wanted playing quarterback in San Francisco. Like he knew that was the thing that sort of separated him when he was in high school and when he was in college and when he was in the USFL and when he was early in his career, uh, especially in Tampa Bay. He knew that his legs made him different than a lot of other quarterbacks, but it took him being drilled into his brain to realize for me to be at my best, And for the team to be at my best, I need to learn to win from the pocket. And these these guys are all uber competitors. They're all alpha males. That's why they're playing at the highest level. A lot of guys don't even get that opportunity. So it's sort of hard to sort of relearn or unindoctrinate yourself from the things that have made you great. I'm sure fighting for every blade of grass and every inch and every possible situation is what excelled to a at the at the University of Alabama, it's what excelled him to be, you know, a, a top uh, ten pick in the draft, top five pick in the draft in 2020, and to sort of relearn those skills and coping mechanisms is not the easiest thing in the world. Well, and again, I go back to the chip uh, chip on his shoulder, and I think you said it best. Somebody's got to drill it into his head, and he's got to realize that Miami yep. is at their best when he is behind center, and yep. until he figures that out. I think we're going to see some unnecessary risks. I hope I'm wrong, but I think that's going to be the case. Yeah. Um, it, it's just the hardest thing in the world. Like, you know, RG3, the same way. He knew his legs would carry him. And eventually he ran one too, one too many times. And that's why he's now working for ESPN and not playing football anymore as the second overall pick of the 2012 draft. You just, you have to learn to adapt in this game. And, you know, Herm Edwards used to say it all the time. The best ability is availability. And you have to do whatever is necessary to make sure your availability is not in question because this league is basically 100% injury rate. So you want to do everything you can to protect yourself, especially a quarterback, especially with a guy like Tua, 
who's had the concussion injuries in back-to-back games of this season. All right, let's move on to segment three, ladies and gentlemen. We like to call it our Super Smash QB matchup of the week. Let's go! Well, there it is. We got Aaron Rodgers, two-time MVP, the Green Bay Packers, heading to uh, Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Now, when the schedule came out, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, week eight, Packers in Buffalo taking on the Bills. Let's go. Super Bowl showdown. I don't think people are looking at this game in that same light anymore because of the struggles that we've talked about for Aaron Rodgers, just so people understand from a historical perspective, what's at stake here right now, the Packers are, are a double digit underdog. I think it's 11 and a half right now at Caesar Sportsbook. for if, if that's going to hold, and I think it will hold because it's pretty solid 11 and a half right now that would snap Rogers string of 234 consecutive games played regular and postseason combined in which Aaron Rodgers team had never been a double digit Underdog. And in case you're wondering, yes, that is the longest streak for a quarterback to start his career in NFL history. So it looks like for the first time in 235 games, we're talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers and the and the Packers with Aaron under center being a double digit underdog. Um, that just seemed almost unfathomable when the season began. You know, the funny thing is, is you, you talked about how when people looked at the schedule, they, they, you know, this was the game that they circled and, and this was a big time matchup. And now it's like, eh. you look at the schedule a yeah. week from now, Buffalo travels to MetLife to play the Jets. If I told you in the beginning of the season, yeah. the, the Jet uh, Bills game on November 6th is going to be a much more important, much more uh, ga- a, a game that more people want to tune into than the Packers. Uh, and the Bills the week before, October 30th, you would have told me I'm nuts. But that is the situation. And when you look at the two quarterbacks, I mean, you got Josh Allen, who is looking at things moving forward, and Aaron Rodgers, who we talked about before, who's basically looking at things in the rearview mirror as they go past them. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's I think it's part and parcel to some of the surprises we've, we've seen. But the big game for the Bills is not really this Sunday against the, uh, against Green Bay. It's next Sunday when they take on the Jets. Yeah, and just so people understand, like we had underdogs have done really well this year across the board. I think they're hitting about 40% of the time. Buffalo as a double-digit home favorite is where underdogs go to die. The last time the Bills lost a home game in which they were a double-digit favorite was week eight of the 1992 season. We're talking 20 years ago uh, when the Jets somehow beat them. And already twice this year, Josh Allen and the Bills have been uh, double-digit favorites at home. Uh, those two games were against the Tennessee Titans. They won 41-7. to And against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett's first start, they won that one 38-3, including a 98-yard touchdown pass on the first drive of the game on third and 10 from their own two-yard line. So uh, they're 12-4-2 straight up, uh, 12-4-2 against the spread, and 18-0 straight up uh, in the last 18 games at home as a double-digit favorite. Like, I, I'm beginning to think 
to try and find a way where this game is even remotely competitive by the time we get to the middle of the third quarter. You know, the thing is, is that 1992 game where the Jets beat the Bills up in Buffalo in a double-digit uh, underdogs, that was the game after Dennis uh, Dennis Bird suffered his catastrophic uh, career-ending injury, and the Jets were riding high in emotion to win that game. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Green Bay, it's sort of a life-or-death situation as far as football is concerned. I mean, if they lose another game, uh, it, it's basically all downhill for the, uh, the second half of the season. Um, but you're right. I, I mean, no one would have thought this. Uh, surprised that the game's on still. They kept it on Sunday night because I'm well, sure. I don't, I don't think we're in the flexing part yet. I don't yeah, think we're in the flexing part yet. Because there, uh, there's a there's another Sunday night game down the road, Tony, that yeah. right now reads uh, Denver at Kansas City. I will promise you that is not going to be a Sunday night game. Okay. My bad. Thanks for correcting me on that. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, like I said, it's one guy, one quarterback's looking straight ahead. The other guy's looking at and Aaron Rodgers is looking at things in his rearview mirror. Although I'm sure Rodgers feels, you know, he's got a point to prove. He's going to want to show that he's got something left in the tank on Sunday night, which may be the only thing or, or the one thing to watch on that game uh, Sunday evening. Look, the NFL has been crazy this year. So yeah. would it would it would I be shocked if somehow the Packers found a way to win? No, but I mean, like literally the Panthers just beat the Buccaneers. Okay. So like crazier things have happened, but there's not a single logistical or valued indicator going into this game that makes you think, ah, yeah, Green Bay is going to pull it out. I mean, forget all the Packers issues and forget all the talent that the Bills have. Buffalo's coming off their bye. I mean, and they got their bye at a perfect time. They had the big emotional win over Kansas City at Arrowhead. It was a great game, 24 to 20. So honestly, the best thing you can do after a big game like that against the team that you know you're probably going to have to beat to get to where you want to go to the Super Bowl uh, in Arizona is to take a beat. Just take a breath. Let's calm down. Let's refocus our energy. Let's make sure, look, it's only seven games into the season. We still have nine games or 10 games, rather, 10 games left to play. Let's make sure that we keep our long-term goals the priority. Like it's literally the worst time for Green Bay to be going to Western New York. And it was the perfect time for Buffalo to get their buy and reset. You know, I don't think the only way that the Packers win this game is if Buffalo loses. What do I mean by I say that? Yeah. You know, if, no, Buffalo, right. if Buffalo is basically looking ahead to the Jets and yep. they take this week for granted – that is how I, I think the Packers is the only way the Packers win. But, uh, you know, and again, who would have thought that that the Buffalo would be looking past the Packers to the New York Jets in the first the weekend of uh, November? Yeah. It, and weirdly, like just so people sort of understand, like that trap game mentality is a real thing. You know, like I'm convinced that's why the the Chiefs struggled uh, in that Monday night game against the Raiders when they were down 17 to nothing because the Raiders had played terrible and they're like the Chiefs had had a big win. They knew that they that Buffalo was coming next and they're going to have to have have a big win there. And you know, it it it's it, it's easy sort of get into that mentality. And I think there's only two teams that I can say right now that you they may lose, but it's going to be more on them than somebody beating them, and that's Buffalo and Kansas City. Like when Kansas City is right, nobody's going to beat them. And, you know, when Buffalo's right, nobody's going to beat them. And the difference in that game uh, at Arrowhead between Buffalo and Kansas City was Kansas City made three, in my opinion, three crucial mistakes in that game. 
after Josh Allen, the Bills fumbled on their first drive. Patrick Mahomes drove him right down the field. They were facing a third and whatever inside the red zone. And instead of just like throwing it away and taking an early three, nothing lead, he forced it into double coverage and Kyrie Elam, the, the rookie corner they took out of Florida comes away with an interception, negating points right for the half. Andy Reed called a timeout when the bills were backed up on their own two yard line, third and 12. And if he doesn't call that timeout, the bills don't have the 16 seconds to score the touchdown right before the half. And then with the Von Miller pressure, uh, Patrick Mahomes threw that second interception in that game. And that basically ended the game. The chiefs created their own problems. If Buffalo doesn't create their own problems, I, 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 I mean, Barring, you know, really weird things happening, I just don't see a way Green Bay is going to come out of Western New York with a win. Especially especially in that place, because that is a that is a tough place uh, to play, tough place to win if you're an opposing team, regardless of how good you are. Absolutely. So that was our Bills uh, Super Smash quarterback matchup of the week. Uh, spice up your fantasy football season with underdog fantasy. Take the higher or lower on Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers. Passing yardage projections and get up to a $100 deposit bonus courtesy of our good friends at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, all right, so go ahead and play that now. Uh, okay, uh, got some time for a couple of questions in the chat. If we have any in there, you guys can bring them up and let me know. Brett usually reads them, but he's not here. Uh, is that PWAG? Is that what that says? Off topic, PWAG wants to know, will my Lions get their rookie quarterback in next year's draft. Uh, he's going back to 1957 with a Bobby Lane reference, I believe, uh, out of Highland Park High School where Matthew Stafford played. I'm sure we've all heard that before. What do you think about the Lions potentially moving on from Jared Goff after this year? Oh, I think it's if they are if selecting at the top of the draft, which they likely will be, they will take one of those quarterbacks. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, they've got to find, you know, that they have to stop. They're like the Cleveland Browns were year after year where they were consistently selecting top five, top six. Right. Uh, so I, I think they, if they are selecting early, they definitely going to take a quarterback. Yeah. And, it and looks they, got the they got the defensive player last year. They, they got their offensive tackle a year before that. Uh, you know, they, they haven't taken a quarterback. I, I think with the talent at the signal caller position this year, uh, just as long as they don't blow it and win two or three games at the end of the year and knock themselves out of the top uh, five or six picks, I think this is they definitely take a signal caller at the top. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson played really well in that game against the Cowboys, but that defense across the board for Detroit is really bad. It's just really bad right now. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But you're right. I, I think the shine is off the Dan Campbell experience. We all love the quotes, and we all thought that maybe it would translate. But at the end of the day, you got to win. Like, they all love them, but you got to win. If you don't win, nobody stays around. You know, I always love it when they hire a coach. We love his character. We love his culture. Well, why'd you fire him? He didn't win. Like all the other, it doesn't matter. Okay. The only thing that matters is you can be the biggest jerk in the world, but if you win, you'll have a contract for as long as you want. So it's about one thing and one thing only. The NFL is not a try hard league. It's a win league. And if you don't win, you are moved on from pretty quickly. All right. We got another uh, question from Twitter. Why does everyone make the Tua concussion problem a national issue why is all right, why is everyone making the Tua concussion problem a national issue when it happens all the time? Okay, when it happens all the time, um, let's let's start with that one. I think there are concussions in football, absolutely. But to say what happened to Tua happens all the time, I think is inaccurate. Uh, and and here's what I mean by that: it was blatantly obvious that Tua suffered a concussion in the win over the Buffalo Bills the Sunday before the Thursday game. 
And like he couldn't get off the field. He had to be held up by his teammates. He lost motor control. That's a medical term called ataxia. And it's a sign of neurological stress and, and, and mental harm. Okay. And for some reason, before the Tua situation, that was not considered a, a concussive symptom. That was a no-go to get you back into the game. So they had a review of that game, but the review wasn't completed before Tua took the field on a Thursday. So this is why it becomes a national issue. It exposed a lot of things in the protocols that made no damn sense. And if both the NFL and the NFLPA decided jointly to review the practices of the UNC, which is the unaffiliated neurological consultant uh, at the game, and they decided to let Tua back on the field before the review was done, that's ridiculous. It's just so impossibly stupid. If the review isn't done to know whether or not everything was taken care of the right way, you can't let Tua on the field. And they did anyway, and he suffered a much more severe concussion. It's called second impact syndrome. If you have one concussion on a Sunday and you have another one on a Thursday, that tells you that you're more likely to have a concussion and it's going to be more severe. And more often than not, each successive concussion after that comes easier and is more severe. So that's why I think it became a national issue. And it's a quarterback. We can't debate that point. If it happens to somebody else, uh, we saw it with Cameron Brait in the game against Kansas City, the tight end. There's no way he should have been able to go back into that game. But because it was a tight end and not Patrick Mahomes, our eyes are drawn to it differently. Whether that's fair or unfair, it's the truth. I also think it was a national issue because that video after that Thursday night game was tough to look at. And it was on every national news, news broadcast when you saw what was going on with his hand, hands. And I've, I've only seen two concussions that rivaled that when it happened during a game. And they were on the college level. Yeah. Receiver by the name of Chris Owusu out of Stanford. Yeah, you absolutely. Google, you can Google the concussions that he had. And they were, they were downright scary. And for some reason, Chris Owusu went on to play in the NFL Javid Beck, when he was a cow, had a concussion where everyone thought that he had ruptured his discs uh, yeah. in the back of his head and he was paralyzed. It was a concussion and it was <clears throat> downright scary. I think it's national news because, or it, it's a national issue because <coughs> everyone saw it. Everyone saw yeah. it the next day uh, or even that night, if you stayed up that night, uh, the, the video of what happened. So uh, that is why it's a national issue because everyone, it was replayed constantly, constantly, where Concussions really aren't replayed to that extent. No, it was a quarterback in a nationally televised game coming off something that happened the previous Sunday where they completely botched the system. All of those things contributed to why it became such a national story. All right, do we have time for one more comment? All right, from Twitter. Is this Nathaniel Hackett's last game on Sunday if he loses in London? By the way, Broncos, Jaguars, uh, or the Shaguars, as we like to call them, uh, London 930. I always love the idea, and it's happened before, a coach fired in London after a loss. Like, we hate you so much, just don't come back to the country. You figure it out on your own. You stay here. Hope your passport's in place. Um, I think it's very, very likely if they lose in a really ugly way that this could be Nathaniel Hackett's last game. Um, Tony, I say this all the time. You know, People talk about the great offensive mind that Nathaniel Hackett has and the great play calls he comes up with. It's one thing to be a great offensive mind, and it's another thing to be a great offensive play designer. It is another thing entirely to be a head coach and factor those things into real-time game situations. And we have seen on several occasions this year 
Nathaniel Hackett not understanding or recognizing situational football. And that's probably cost them the ability to win two games. Look at what's going on in Denver with, with Hackett. Look at what the New York Giants are doing with Brian Dabble with really not very talented, talented players. So, and that's to your point. I, I, I mean, you have to not only just design the, the plays, you have to do it in the moment for all three facets of the team. So yeah. to answer the question, yeah, if they lose in a bad fashion, I could see Hackett, uh, you know, be, be basically be uh, his career as head coach of the Denver Broncos come uh, to an end Sunday. Uh, I think George Payton's going to have to take a big hit. It will take a big hit as well. Um, yeah. But I think it's a possibility. Well, let, let's also consider the new ownership group here with the Denver Broncos, right? These are the Waltons, for lack of a better term, as in Walmart, as in Stan Kroenke and the Rams. They have unlimited funds. They do not care. They are not patient people. They've invested a lot into the Denver Broncos, and they'll do whatever it takes to get this thing turned around rather quickly. And I don't think they would have any second thoughts at all about another ugly performance and cutting the cord with Nathaniel Hackett before halfway uh, through his first season in the NFL. It's the unfortunate reality of the deal, but they, the Broncos have looked terrible. I mean, there's just no other way around them. They have looked terrible. They're inept. They can't score. Uh, They couldn't score last year either. They're averaging 15.2 points per game. Uh, Even the bears are scoring more points these days uh, than the Denver Broncos. And when you bring in Russell Wilson and sign him to 230 plus million dollars in contract money, someone's paying the price for that. And it's usually not the guy that has $230 million in, in, in salary left on his contract. And let's Tony, not forget, let's not yeah, forget, let's forget, everyone thought that the quarterback position was the one that's going to throw the Broncos over the top. Whether it was trading yeah. for Aaron Rodgers, which was rumored, they don't get, they don't do that. They trade for Russell Wilson. Everyone thought that that was the final piece of the puzzle for the Broncos. It's not turned out that way. No, as it turns out, the Broncos need a lot of pieces. Uh, and head coach might be one of them after a potential loss to the Jaguars on Sunday in London. Tony, I appreciate you, buddy. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks for filling in for Brett. Maybe Brett will uh, realize his dereliction of duty and come back and actually do his job uh, next week. Just kidding, Brett. We love you, but we're not really kidding. Uh, so anyway, thanks for watching Pro Football Insiders. Make sure you uh, full check out the full show uh, when we get it up on, on our podcast uh, and uh, follow PFN for all the great content. Tony, uh, Always great to catch up with you, and we'll see you, if not before, getting ready for the 2023 draft. I'll see you in February.